You're listening to the Wrestling Change My Life podcast. Quick update, folks. The Smiths, a seven-part audio documentary on both John and Pat Smith, drops this Monday, February 1st. You can listen to all seven episodes right here on the Wrestling Change My Life podcast. Don't miss it. Now let's get to this episode with Pat Papalizio. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Before we get to the episode, I must apologize that we're releasing our second episode of the week on a Friday. That's a sin in my household. But we've been working hard on the Smith documentary, and it comes out on Monday, so I hope you can forgive me. My guest today is Pat Papalizio, head coach at North Carolina State. Before that, he was at Binghamton. This guy is a program builder, one of the best coaches in the country, I hope you pick up a nugget or two from the great Coach Pop. Fan of the week goes to my man Maniac Michael. That's Maniac underscore Michael on the gram. Appreciate you tuning in, my brother. And folks, if you want to support this podcast, please support our sponsors. This week it's Spartan Combat. They're hosting a national tournament in Jacksonville, Florida, May 21st through the 23rd. Freestyle, folk style, Greco, beach wrestling, dual team tournament, they got it all. And by registering on SpartanCombat.com, you get a free race pass as well. SpartanCombat.com, check it out, folks. And let's give it up for the great Pat Papalizio. Peace! Coach Papalizio, welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast, sir. Great, great to be with you. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I didn't know that you were an Oklahoma State guy until I started my research on this. Well, yeah, that's where the roots started. Well, high school, but college-wise. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of good history and tradition there. So, Man, a lot to cover. Let's start, though, with – I want to start with your parents. True, your dad was an immigrant, Italian immigrant? It, excuse me. Yeah, that is correct. Came over – actually, the last year uh, Ellis Island was open uh, – him and his his whole family they came over actually took the boat over here and uh instead of going to the statue of liberty he went to go get his lollipop so <laughs> true story his him and his brothers 
all went to go get the candy instead of going right to the, the statue. So what so. kind of influence did that have growing up in you? I mean, I know you had an older brother, Frank, who was probably super influential in your life. Um, but, you know, talk about just what it was like growing up with parents who literally could say they came over, you know, on the boat, so to speak. Yeah, I think there, you know, people, you, when you look back, I think there was a lot of pride um, in anything that you did, you know, you, and you always, you're very thankful for them and the situations that they put you in. Um, I think it goes back to the roots of work ethic and, you know, everything that they did, they had to start from scratch, you know, coming over here when you don't know anybody or anything, um, literally started from the ground up. And uh, I think it, it created a good work ethic for everyone in our household and connected to our family, not, not just like our immediate family, but just, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles, all that. There was a lot of pride in that and, uh, you know, making a name for yourself when you're, when you're starting from scratch from a, a new country. Um, learning English, you know, they didn't even speak any English when they came over here and had to learn all that. So it was probably not an easy transition for them and uh, to navigate through you know, being in the States, I thought they did a really good job getting their feet on the ground and building a really good foundation and making life, you know, easier for, for their kids, which we benefited from as, a, you know, brothers and cousins and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I know people call you a program builder, but think about your folks, you know, building a, a life, you know, from nothing almost. It's like, yeah, when you, no. went, you know what I mean? And those are the things, you, you know, you never take anything for granted. You always are very appreciative when people are willing to help or you see someone create success, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things when you look back as someone packing up their, their family, moving to a whole new country, there's, there's a lot of unknown and, you know, fear when it comes to that. And then just to, to be brave and get to work, you know, starting no matter what they did, you know, it wasn't like you could come here and, and get, one of these mainstream jobs right away, everything they did, they had to work from the bottom up and mm. all been really successful because of it. Yeah. I mean, just being around that is, uh, you know, a lot of, str I mean, looking back now, it sounds glamorous, but probably a lot of struggle, a lot of, a lot of tough moments. And so that's kind of the environment you were brought up in. And as we alluded to your, your brother, Frank runs the journeyman club, yep. um, club. He's a farmer too. Don't forget that. What's that? I said, he's a farmer too. Don't forget that. Yeah, it sounds like he's got a bunch of property, huh? I've read, yeah. I've read an article where he was in the Hall of Fame, and it's like, yeah, I got chickens, I got no. livestock, and I just saw some on Facebook. He posted he had a rooster eating. I don't know what he's got going on, but every day is something new. How far apart were you guys growing up? We're uh, six years, um, and then I got a middle brother that we were eighteen months apart. We actually wrestled at UNC. Okay. So, yeah, got a lot of a lot of family members that wrestled. So was it when you were growing up I mean, your older brother got into it uh, and he, you know, he's just obsessed with wrestling. Um, yeah. Was it just a wrestling household for you guys? So I had, uh, we actually had a cousin, uh, Severino, who started it. Um, he was a runner up New York State, actually went to uh, Boston University in wrestling. He's in their Hall of Fame over there. Um, so he kind of got the ball rolling and then... All our cousins alongside both my brothers wrestled. So we had a huge tradition of family members that all had wrestled. Um, but it really started with my oldest brother, Frank, was on our high school team. Um, he started up this little peewee program. We actually had a mat in our basement. And it was 
my, my brother, Anthony, my cousin, Vinny, my cousin, Mike, and then my high school coach's uh, son, Mike Benna. They, we would come over and actually start it right in our basement. We had a little little mat where we could fit four or five little guys on a little square. And we would literally practice four days a week, five days a week in our basement. That's awesome. What was your, what was your cousin's name? The one who started? Uh, Severino. So Severino Papalizio. Big old Afro. Yep. Big old Afro. And we went out, you know, Boston had a program and I was at Binghamton. We would go there. Obviously they were in the conference and every time I'd walk into their athletic facility, they had their hall of fame pictures and he would, you know, be in a stance with his big old Afro (laughs) hanging out. Uh, But yeah, that's where it all started. He had a pretty, pretty good successful college career there. I think he had the highest win percentage of program history over there. Wow. That's a, it's just cool to see that people, you know, like you, I mean, you, you had those mentors to look up to, but people who go through it for the first time like that, um, got to tip your hat. When you have that, it definitely, you know, talk and and relate to situations that when there's a lot of, I mean, let's face it, college wrestling, you got to overcome a lot of adversity. Uh, So it's nice to have those people to talk to. That might be the most Italian name I've ever heard too. So I, uh, (laughs) um, and after high school, you had a great high school career. You went to Oklahoma State, but one of the reasons your brother started the Journeyman, I don't know, is it the Journeyman Club or what do you guys call yeah. it? Yeah, Journeyman Wrestling Club. Journeyman yeah. Wrestling Club. Was that like, a lot of different things, but that's. Well, you that's had a, a tournament, sorry. pretty sorry. vicious recruiting, not vicious, but just draining recruiting process. And that's one of the reasons he started it. So kind of walk us through what it was like being recruited in the mid nineties with no flow and, and what that experience. Yeah, it was different. Um, actually, you know, made that decision and wanted to wrestle in college and parents made this really, I think I still have it. It's embarrassing highlight tape, um, with Rocky music in the background, typical immigrant (laughs) highlight film, uh, but send it out to a bunch of colleges. And, uh, you know, back then, again, it wasn't, it wasn't emails. It was all letter writing. So we wrote up a letter, sent it out to maybe, 10 or 15 schools and uh, heard back from, from a few of them. And uh, obviously Oklahoma state was one that I got in contact with. Uh, it was actually Mark Perry was doing the recruiting over there um, and then was able to take a visit. So yeah, started to uh, old mail, writing them uh, old letters, typewriter and all. That's uh, it's ironic. It was Mark Perry because I know when he left Mark Cody came in and that was one of your longtime mentors yeah. Um, and so when you got to campus, and, and for folks who don't know, you were at Okie State for six years, five or six right. years. Yep, six years. Got a got a medical hardship. Got it. But your freshman year, though, is one of the most historic NCAA championships ever. Nineteen ninety seven. Crazy. Crazy at the Unidome, you get pulled out of redshirt late in the year, qualify for the Big Dance. And going into that, Oklahoma State had beaten Iowa at the national duels. Everyone thought Oklahoma State was going to win. What do you remember from that uh, that '97 tourney? Yeah, that was you know it happened fast again. I I didn't know anything about college wrestling. I had no clue. Um, you know, I, I probably didn't even watch a college match until I actually went to Oklahoma State and was wrestling in it. But I started off probably fourth or fifth string. I don't know. They were so deep in that room, and. I remember, you know, whatever ranking matches we had got beat by a lot of guys there. And by 
our starter went down. Aaron Strobel was the starter, but literally a month left in the season, he uh, dislocated his elbow in practice. And I remember seeing that and being like, oh boy, that's not a good sign. Um, and then obviously the next week we had wrestle offs and I was able to, a couple of those guys that beat me in the beginning of the year, uh, flip, you know, flip the results on that and got thrown out there in a, in a pretty, some pretty good duels right away. Um, I think it was actually Arizona state was my first match against a returning all American, um, ended up winning that match and was like, all right, can do something here. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely an eye opener. Um, it was the old school weigh-ins too, back in the day when it was night before. Okay. So, um, had a couple duels under my belt and then, yeah, I think, Looking at it, I think everyone thought Oklahoma State was favored to win that year, and then Iowa goes in and has that historic run where they put five guys in the finals, a couple unknown, you know, guys winning nationals that weren't probably supposed to do it, and just had a, a really dominant tournament. Um, yeah, and they, you know, I think you look at the firepower Oklahoma State had that year; they were very capable of winning it. I just, I just think things slipped away a little bit. Yeah, the Iowa had a one twenty or a one eighteen uh, Whitmer. Yeah, he went on a run, and um, I mean, it's just one of those situations where both teams could have won. But I mean, it's just cool that that was your entrance to to the Division One Nationals was that tournament. And you know, over your six years at Oklahoma State, you saw you know UFC champions come through there, Olympians come through there. Um, who just out of curiosity, who was your roommate? Was it? Uh, I live with Munoz. My uh... My freshman year, we were we were roommates. West Coast to East Coast. Dude. Great guy. Awesome. You know, we were actually – we were around the same size, too, so we, we'd work out quite a bit. Um, and he was – I mean, he was so good and fast and for a big guy. Um, just – it was a perfect roommate for me to have. Learned a lot from him. He's been on the show, and I, I love that guy. He talks you – know, everyone's heard the story. He goes away one year, comes back 20 pounds heavier – is that, that was tr- is that true? That, that was 100% planned. They, the, our first year there, they got him down to 167 and he was skin and bones and he comes, you know, he, I'm sure he's told you too, his parents are from the Philippines and um, he can eat. His mom is an awesome cook. <laughs> he can eat. So the fact that they cut him down to 67 and then, you know, he wrestled at 84. I was up. I, we made the decision at some point that we were both like, all right, obviously I'm undersized for this weight. And he's like, I would love to eat more and, and go up. And style wise, it worked out really good for him uh, being up a weight class and then me cutting down to uh, when the weight switched to 184. Um, it was perfect weight for college. But yeah, Munoz, uh, he did it. He was like, they, they wanted him at 84 and they wanted me to stay up. And I was like, I want to go down. And Mark's like, yeah, I'm going to make sure I go up. And he came back. He literally put on 20 pounds. <laughs> it, like nothing. It was just a couple meals for him. And he was, you know, whatever he got up to like 225. Yeah. He said that, you know, back in those days, especially then, you know, Oklahoma State had guys cutting pretty hard. And I asked Mark Perry about this. He's like, we weren't doing nothing anyone else was. But everyone insists that it was vicious cutting in the room at that time. Yeah, we, we the guys did a really good job uh, getting down and, and trimming trimming down to the right weights. Yeah. So, you know, it was there were some some guys that really you, you'd see them in the off season and you wouldn't recognize them during the season. <laughs> um, and as we mentioned, one of your coaches there was Mark Cody. 
what you know what about that relationship kind of stuck in and how did how did that impact the rest of your coaching career yeah it, it was probably a good time for him to come in you know dealt with a lot of injuries in my time at Oklahoma State so it wasn't a smooth college career you know there were definitely times where we questioned is it healthy to keep wrestling um, and then when he came in it was just a boost of, of confidence, you know, having a, a guy from the outside bring in a, maybe a little different perspective on the sport. Um, and at the time, I think it was healthy. Anytime you can, you learn from coaches in the past and you bring some new coaches in, you, you get you get a different perspective. I mean, we do it here right now. Anytime a coach leaves and someone new comes in, the guys really enjoy seeing a different perspective. You know, it's never going to be the same when someone leaves. But yeah, there's always positives to someone new coming in. And that's uh, something Cody did a really good job is just, I think, instilling a lot of confidence. And, and it was probably something I, I really needed at the time. You know, you go through some of those college seasons, you get a little beat up, you get down on yourself. Um, and that, I think that was one thing he was able to help me just kind of refocus, kind of hit the reset button and uh, see things from a different light. But yeah, he was uh, definitely helped was actually my, I think my last two years that he was there. And then his style um, mirrored a lot of some of the things that I was intrigued by. Um, just the discipline that he had as a coach that he expected out of guys is, you know, work ethic. Um, there was a lot of really good positive things on the mental side of stuff. Obviously the technical side of things were, were I was already in one of the best places in the world for me to learn technique. Um, and I just love that mental side of things that maybe I was missing um, from years past. So when you say mental side of things, what do you mean by that? I think, you know, when you look at college wrestling, I think you got guys who are naturally just really good and mentally are, you know, confident in themselves. And we deal, deal with it here. You know, you got guys who don't need a whole lot. They're just need to be taught a few things, work on a few positions. And then you got the guys you got to mentally bring along, boost their confidence up a little bit, uh, make sure that they're, they're focused. Uh, you know, everyone's managed in a different way. And I think that's one thing that Cody did a really good job of doing is uh, getting guys to believe in themselves. Um, you know, sometimes coaching is, is that art, you know, and I think when you look at some of the stuff Gable was able to do in the sport of wrestling, I think he was probably one of the masters at it is the, the mental side of really getting guys to believe and buy into everything that they were about. And kind of that's the mental stuff that I, I, I personally love about wrestling. I think that's uh, the fun part of the sport. It's such a uh, it's almost like voodoo, right? You can't see it. You can't put your hands on it and grab like this confidence hat and put it on someone. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even know about it until afterwards because, a, you know, a guy might be saying all the right things. And but deep down, they're lying to themselves. Um, yeah. So is that something you dealt with as an athlete? yourself yeah you i mean it's that question you know what are your goals i want to win a national championship like you know we all say it but do you truly believe that you know and that's that blind faith that you've got to have um you got to believe in yourself first before it can actually happen so some people need a little more help getting there um and when you find those kids and, and you know you know they have all the tools but now there's that mental side I think that that's something here at NC State we, we pride ourselves on is getting guys to really believe in themselves. And a lot of that goes to <clears throat> your daily habits, what you do outside the room, mm -hmm. and how do you instill those confidence. Um, and it goes back to some training and some things that we do. Um, 
but I love that. To me, that's the side of wrestling that I, I love. I love watching a guy break through. Um, don't get me wrong. There's always those guys that you get that naturally have that. And then it's okay. Let's just focus on the technical side of things. And manage these guys with, you know, weight training and, and their weight and, and things like that. But then there are the ones that you really need to, to get them to believe in themselves. And when they do, they're, they're dangerous. Dangerous. And it's, yeah, you look at some of the guys on your roster. Yeah. I can imagine that the headlights come in just absolute fire. And yeah, you don't got to worry about those guys. And, and you guys, you mentioned you enjoy converting kids who maybe aren't there to that level. And you look at how many NCAA qualifiers you guys have had over the past five years. I think it was like 47 of 50 have qualified for the nationals, which is astounding. Um, but before we get to NC state, I got to talk about being, is it Binghampton or Binghamton? Binghamton. Binghamton. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, you get there the year, the year before they were like zero and 12 and the program had just been reinstated. What was the state of things when you got in there? It was, it was challenging. Um, the only positive to me was no one had been there that long. So there was no culture yet. And that was to me the actually I'd rather had it that way. Mm -hmm. So we could come in and make our culture where a lot of times like here at NC state, we came in, there was already a culture. So you had to shock it there. We were able to just establish it. Um, there was some, we had a couple guys that were already there. Patterson's was Josh Patterson was coming in. He was one of the top recruits in the country. So we had a little bit of that talent there. There was like one or two guys we could focus on, but the rest of the guys, you know, were, were a little under the, I guess, talent level for D1. Mm -hmm. So we had to go out and we had to go recruit. And to me, I was like, I'm going to look in a radius of whatever, two or three hours, and I'm going to find the, the toughest kids that we can get. Not, maybe not the most talented, but I'm going to try and get these guys right off the farm somewhere. And uh, we were able to do that. We got about five or six core guys that were just tough, tough, tough kids that could train at a very hard pace and just got – they got in really good shape and they were just tough kids. So we established a really good – foundation with our culture and then we were able to start building some momentum off that and so is that good advice do you think for someone who's maybe coaching one of those you know quote-unquote mid-major programs where you just focus on that three to four hour radius and really hammer it out there is that is that advice you'd give to a coach listening yeah i you know i knew binghamton was more of a school where kids probably weren't going to go across the country mm -hmm. to to come to, to binghamton university i mean now i think it's different they're you can do that. But when we were starting up, I knew, you know, if I was trying to get a kid from California, half the times I'd call a kid and say, coach, I want, I want to wrestle D1. I'm like, all right, well, we're not probably going to end up getting this kid. So, you know, I found those guys that wanted to stay close to home and that were just pretty solid. Um, I was actually looking for the guys that were second and third. Obviously you want to get the guys who win, but I was like, if I can fill this room up with a lot of place finishers in the state, and guys that will, will train really hard, we could build on this and get some momentum going. And we did. You know, you look at guys that actually placed for me there was Justin Lister, Donnie Vincent, who's coaching here. Mm -hmm. Those guys never won a state title. So I wanted that little bit of still got something they need to prove. Um, and then you had guys that, that did win, like Patterson and Gwiz. Um, yeah. But that was a little – Gwiz was a little further down the road last year they were recruiting, and that was – you know, from guys having some success now that it was recruiting opened up a little bit more. 
but yeah, it was a perfect storm for me because I grew up two hours from there and I was able to recruit New York pretty, pretty good. I was going to say with your brother running things and having his fingers, you know, all within that, that state, I'm sure that helped. Did you have a sense of what your, like your core philosophy would be at that point in time or has it evolved since then? It's evolved a lot. I think, you know, being here is different than there and, and knowing that, but we really just wanted to find guys that made wrestling a lifestyle, like everything worked backwards from wrestling mm-hmm. and kids that grew up similar background that just, Every weekend, that's all they, they were in the gym. They were, you know, if you took wrestling away from them, they were basically lost. And that's kind of what I was looking for when we were recruiting Bears. Like, this wrestling means everything to this kid. And now, can we instill the discipline that we're looking for outside the room? Um, you know, finding guys that were committed to, to doing the right things on the weekends, you know, not going out, not looking to over socialize. And that was an easy, for me, that was an easy place to manage that. You know, it was a small little town, and I could I could put my finger on guys and point to where they were going to be on a Friday and Saturday night. So yeah, it was easy to. We were just talking about it with Donnie. I was like, there was one strip of places for kids to go, and you sure could find me there on a Friday, Saturday night, looking to see if guys were actually out and about. Just patrolling, so, huh? Patrolling. <laughs> I love it, and I ju- I just love stories where someone comes from a program that you know, it was on the, the brink of, you know, coming back into existence. You know, one of my heroes was Mark Johnson. When he took over Illinois, they were yeah. terrible, terrible, terrible. And, you know, he built Illinois into a, a perennial power and yeah. much the same you're doing at NC State. Um, you know, if you had to give advice to, to people who are trying to build programs, like what are some of your core two to three tenets of, you know, building support outside of the room? Because I feel like that is its own skill. Like outside of the room, how, how are you doing that so effectively? You're talking fan base? Fan base, relations with the, the AD. I mean, you look at your coaching staff, you have a huge staff. You have all this digital media presence. Like, I don't know if you're doing that yourself or if they're helping you. I mean, we got a great thing with help here now. Um, but, yeah, at Binghamton, you know, different programs have different resources. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying everything's perfect here. And when it's not, we got to take it in into our control and do things that are obviously in line with the department and compliance. Um, but I, I do think, you know, building that relationship with your AD is critical um, and knowing what they're looking for. You know, I think that's a, a big thing and your guys got to be role models. So it's hard. It's, it's easy to fall in love with a team that's, you know, getting good grades that are doing the right things off the mat. And it's easy to really resent the team. If your guys are getting in trouble and they're not winning, you know, I can see where an administrator would be like, we gotta, we gotta fix some things with the program if that's happening. So we talk about that a lot. How do we gain uh, respect within the department, which will carry over to the community. Mm-hmm. Our guys have to, the, our guys are the leading force of that. Yes. As coaches, we can preach all we want, but our guys, have to buy in and they've got to be that that role model citizen and, and we're fortunate enough you know we had it at Binghamton with the guys we brought in they were that to a T um, and I think that goes back to recruiting you know not taking too many risks or chances yes you can do it once you establish a culture but if you don't have the culture and you're you know flooding it with just talent I think it could be a dangerous combination so you, you got to have that fine balance of the right kids character and and then you can maybe take a little bit of a chance where you can 
cultivate a kid that that might be on the cusp of going left or right. Got it. No, it's a it's an interesting thing because sometimes you know I've had coaches tell me that they want to get this recruit because it'll push them up in the national rankings and it looks better to land this guy. But deep down, you know, they know that it could be problematic. And that's a, that's a negotiation you have to have with yourself as a coach. Yeah. We uh, try not to ever get caught up in the rankings. Cause I can tell you right now, I mean, I'm watching guys in a room. I, you'll have this kid that's one of the top recruits in the country. And then you get a guy like Isaac Trumbull, who's a true freshman, just, you know, knocks off on the top guys in the country who wasn't, wasn't the top ranked guy coming out, but I can promise you right now, when it's all said and done, he's going to be like a Machiavello that was, he left being one of the top ranked guys in the country. Yeah. I mean, that what a huge win on, was it Friday against Pitt? Yeah. Friday. He's uh, he had a good win against a really good kid that wrestles really hard. So it was good for him. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and it goes back to the mental side of stuff we're talking about, you know, you got to believe in yourself and that's a kid that, He's got a lot of confidence in himself, but it goes back to his work ethic, attitude, and everything that he's doing outside the room is giving him those confidence boosters that he needs. And I, I listened to one of the duels you had where you were mic'd up and a couple words that were, it was all PG. It was good. Yeah. A couple of common denominators <laughs> were the word relax and the word attitude. Yeah. So when you say attitude, does it mean optimistic? Does it mean, um, like, I guess, what does attitude mean to you if you think about it on a daily basis? Determination. Like when I'm watching a practice, if a guy, if he's starting practice working at a nine or a 10, he needs to be finishing practice working at a nine or a 10. You can't come start practice at a four or five and think halfway through. Now I'm going to, I'll pick it up just a little bit because we're close to the end. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm looking for when we start wrestling seven minutes. I need the intense, you watch Hayden wrestle. He starts from the time the whistle blows till it ends wrestling the same pace. You know, there's no, let me get through, make sure my legs are underneath me. And then the last minute I'm going to try and steal this match. You know, that's something that we're trying to work. And that goes back to your attitude, which all carries back to the way you're training, the way your diet is, the way your sleep pattern is, um, the, the work ethic outside the room and in the room. You know, and those elite guys, they have that attitude. Everything that they're doing is to better their, you know, them as a person, school, and wrestling. So it's a big part of its effort for you. You know, what's yeah. the effort at consistently? Yes, constant. Like, not just when we're here as coaches and friends. I know our elite guys, you never have to pull them into the room to do more work. If anything, you're kicking them out. Yep. Yeah, that's... That's a common theme. Guys are saying, Hey, you're working too much. Take a break. You know, that's a, uh, that's obviously what you need out, out of, out of a team. Now, when you look at the, you know, the state of North Carolina, traditionally not known as a wrestling hotbed, but certainly that's growing. What is like the high school wrestling scene in North Carolina? And are you guys actively involved in that? Yeah. I, you know, I think the biggest thing is how many D one programs and how many college programs are in the state. And now, you know, the success that all these schools are having, it only elevates the game for high school kids. How can you not take notice? You know, you have obviously what we're doing here and we got UNC, you got App State, Duke, um, all those teams within the state that are doing a really good job. There's so many opportunities for these kids to, to wrestle and compete, but you also have all these resources where these guys can, whether it's the summertime, they're in a club, you know, they're offering out their skill set, not just us as coaches, but our guys, you know, 
you get access to Quiz, Locke, Tommy Gant, Hayden, Trent. That's that's just one school. Now you take another school and you got the same thing, and, and that trickles down. You know, even for high school coaches, if, if any of them ever want, you know, we always not right now during the COVID and, and a dead period, but we always open our room up for coaches to come by, watch, you know, take notes and whatever they can do, which will will carry over, make the state better. When the state's better, it gives us better opportunities for in-state recruiting, which is huge for depth. Need it. And, and it's like the fact that you guys are doing so well without uh, a perennial power hotbed state for high school is impressive because, you know, all the scholarships, you're looking at out-of-state tuition for that. And so it's just that much harder. Um, it's just incredible to me that you guys are able to do that. If you had to look at kind of your strategy over a year, are you someone that plans something out 12 months in advance or how do you structure a season and a training for your guys? Yeah, we'll meet usually at the end of the year and we'll go over like a, a year business plan as a staff. Um, I mean, we pretty much have an idea of what we're going to do regardless with our training. You know, we have it down to this time we're going to be, you know, focused on A, B or C. Uh, we're going to make sure we're in shape this time of the year. We're going to pull back a little bit, recover at this time of the year. So we do a lot of that. And I think you also have to know your team, you know, like this year, obviously it's a totally different, this is a wild card year, but yeah, going into it, we were going to be a little senior heavy. So we knew, you know, some of the workouts we were doing didn't need to be as high intensity with, um, I guess, drawn out. Um, like our, our preseason's usually pretty rough and tough, but knowing that we had a lot of guys that were older going into their fifth year in college, a couple of them had, you know, some surgeries. So we want to protect their bodies a little bit. So we got to be strategic in that. But for, for the most part, we have a blueprint that's that's laid out of what we need to do different times of the year. And, and not just wrestling, but like you talked about, your promotion to make sure that people are, are coming to matches and, and maybe tweak one or two things or try to get a new idea so we can uh, keep evolving. And is it something where you're you're literally going out to the Rotary Club and shaking hands? I mean, how, how are you doing that to get people in the seats? Yeah, you got to uh, you got to spread the word. You know, I think that's big being involved in different events and within the community. And luckily here in Raleigh, there's a lot of opportunities for people to uh, know about wrestling. And I also think there's a lot of former college, not just NC State, but there are a lot of people who wrestled in college that are here living in Raleigh, whether it was, you know, a program from this conference or that conference but there are a lot of former college wrestlers that live here and that are doing pretty well. So we pull them in together. They have friends. Next thing you know, we uh, sell out an arena against a dual meet against last year, actually a year ago at this time, you know, when we sold it out against UNC. Wow. Sold out. And that's in the Coliseum. Yeah. Reynolds seats a little under five. I, I, it can yeah. see more, but I think we had right around 5,000 people for that duel. I got to imagine, you know, a tight gym like that gets pretty loud, pretty ruckus. It, it, it's an awesome atmosphere when, when it's packed in there. Um, it gets wild and crazy, and it's just – it's eerie right now uh, wrestling in there and, you know, not having that. But <laughs> it, it's like these matches are so intense, and there's like – it's just quiet, you know. You're like, this is kind of weird, but this is such great wrestling. You know, you get some really good matches, and you're like – if there was a crowd here, you would not be able to hear anything. Right. And is that something where you guys do that platform with like the nice display every duel or just for the big ones? Uh, we've, we've done a stage 
a couple times for some bigger duels. So no, we usually just we'll pick one or two. Yeah. Um, I, and this year probably not with, with no fans. Obviously, we're not doing doing a whole lot other than just getting out there and scrapping. Well, what you know, for folks who don't know, I we don't have a relationship at all outside of this podcast. And what just jumped out to me researching this, and I've researched hundreds of these, is just the presentation for NC State is top notch. Whether it's all the content online, all the highlight videos, the duels, it's just it, it exudes professionalism. Whereas some teams, you go to their website, and it's just, you know, it just doesn't pop to you, you know. So everything you guys yeah. are doing from a presentation standpoint is just unbelievable, and I, I love that. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, we take pride in that. We have obviously our staff works really hard, and then it trickles down to uh, everyone that works within our program helping us. Our Ryan Reiner does an amazing job with our SID, mm-hmm. uh, and the people that are connected. You know, everyone connected to wrestling that works with us day to day has a really good understanding of what we're trying to do and our expectations um, and our culture. And again, it's easy to work and want to do work for a team when your guys are very respectful and appreciative to the people because they are. They know, you know, that those people have a direct impact on the output of content going on there. And, you know, if one of the kids is, is not being nice to someone, it's like, why am I going to go above and beyond to help these guys and put that out there? And luckily we have, yeah. you know, those guys that are extremely respectful, appreciative to everything people do for a program. No, it shows. Um, well, I wanted to, to hit you with three, what we call rapid fire questions and, we'll, and then we'll let you go coach. All right. Let's see if we can answer them. Right. Let's do it. Back in your day, you were in a room full of killers. You had DC, you had uh, Pat Smith was probably wrestling up Mark Munoz. Who was, who was the guy that you got a tap on the shoulder and it was just an absolute war when you're in the Okie State room? The toughest well, I wouldn't go. Call it a, I wouldn't call it a war. I'd call it more of a beating. Uh, Mark Branch was, you know, I was a true freshman and he was a senior. And it was just torture to, to wrestle with a guy like that that was so good with legs. Um, and he taught a lot. Um, and then he stayed on to coach, which even made it worse because he would – he would sit there and we'd be probably drilling for an hour and a half and then he'd jump in and go live and he'd just torture guys in that room. Um, so I had him and then you had a completely different style who in the off season I trained a lot with, uh, JJ McGrew. Well, yep. A lot of people probably didn't realize how good he was, but he was like the number two guy behind Melvin Douglas for a very long time. Um, but you want to watch some fun wrestling, you get him and then Munoz and all those guys that were still training. So God, just yeah, killers there in there. Good talent there. Man. Yeah, you, we can go on and on with that because you do. Then you get into the guys you're talking about with Cormier and all them. They're just exciting wrestling all around. There was no no easy days. No. Um, and kind of the next question just dovetails on to your college career. And this is totally random and you may not know. Your senior year, Nationals are at Albany, which to me is so trippy because you grew up in that area. Yep. The guy at your weight who was the eighth seed who won it, he pinned like five people. Was that just yeah. out of nowhere? Like, who the hell was that? He got hot at the right time. Uh, Rob Roan. Uh, Rob Roan, yeah. Yeah. He was – Lambert was beating him almost by a tech fall in the NCAA finals, and he hit him with a cement mixer. He was doing cement mixers. So he he was almost be down in every match and then would hit these guys with cement mixers. So <laughs> – it's a great way to go out for him. I was looking at the bracket. It's like fall, points. fall, fall. I'm yeah. like, what the hell? Like, unbelievable. Yeah. And then I'm, I checked his seat as the eight seat or something like that. I just 
you rarely see that kind of thing. No, they got hot at the right time. Um, and last one, Coach, you've mentioned your philosophy a few times. I know we've hit on it, but if you had to just distill, you know, your philosophy to a new recruit, like when they come in, how would you kind of verbalize that? That's an interesting one. Um, I would say the biggest thing to me is to listen. Like when we're talking to these recruits, that a lot of times the kids that I say listen and understand what we're about succeed here. The ones that think we're BSing struggle when they come to NC State and say, I didn't think you were serious when you said A, B, or C. And I, I keep saying that all the time. I was like, what can we do better on our end when we're communicating to a recruit of our expectations so there's no adversity when we're dealing with just expectations with lifestyle, work ethic, the whole nine yards, and it makes it real easy for kids to fall in love with your program. Um, last thing you want to do is ever trick a kid into something that you're not about. And I think we do a really good job here just being upfront, brutally honest of what we're looking for. And that's why you see guys win right away when they come here, that buy in. And is it something where kids aren't listening on the, how, how time consuming classes, or is it just the level of work? That I just think the workload that we're looking for, mm -hmm. um, and the discipline outside the room, and that comes down to socializing and you know, the sacrifices you got to be willing to make to be elite. Um, most kids struggle with that. And the ones that don't succeed right away here. So it's like we say, tell every kid, just set your priorities. You know, obviously you're going to have your, your family and school that have to stay out in front. And then it's got to be wrestling right there, neck and neck with that. And everything else is going to come probably second to that until you're at least done with your college career, you know, and then, then you can start, picking back up on, on different priorities. Well, and the great thing about your program is that you guys are in a really a, te a tech hotbed. I'm in technology sales. Rally is booming. And so if there's any recruits listening who say, when I'm done, I want to stay where I'm going to school. You can't ask for a better spot than Rally North Carolina. No. And that's, you know, you fast forward 20 years after college, people are moving to Raleigh because this is one of the best places in the country to live. And it's like, okay, what can we do on our end to let these guys know that you're going to want to get a good degree. You're going to wrestle at one of the best schools in the country. And, uh, long-term most people want to move here when they're done anyways, like whether it's their retiring parent, a lot of the parents for these kids that are here are, you know, as they get closer towards the end of their career, they want to retire and, and live down here. So it's like, let's just, let's get that. Let's make that happen right away. So we can keep <laughs> I love it, man. Well, Coach, it's great to meet you. I hope to continue the dialogue and best of luck with you guys. Yeah. Same. Appreciate everything. Take care. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.